they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. I like moving over to you. <laughs> well, I like yeah. being with you too. Mary Danielle, I just got news today that the Stations of the Cross, a large station, large Catholic station on the East Coast, is picking up the Bible with the barbers. Praise God. Well, welcome. Welcome yeah, to all of our new listeners. We're Absolutely. so glad to have you. We just we want everybody to appreciate and understand that the scriptures are truly the word of God. Amen. God is truly speaking to us. Now, the word of God isn't primarily written. The word of God is primarily a person. The second person of the Blessed Trinity. <laughs> Nonetheless, God inspired men to write right. his plan for salvation for mankind. And that's what the scriptures are. God's plan, his love letter, as it were, to mankind. And guess what he sealed that love letter with? Tell me. The precious blood of his only son. Wow. So. Mary, you know what I love about the Bible with the barbers? We have this world, this biblical worldview that everything we do and say you know, we have our, I want to call it our owner's manual. There you go. Is, you know, you don't want to leave earth without it. Yeah. And, and God's love letter is so clear to us in its teaching. And I think that it's awesome that we can take once a week and, you know, go through the different themes. And I want to let the people know from the Stations of the Cross that we do podcast all these. That's right. And so, so we have past Bible studies. We've been doing this for how many years now? I don't two? know. A couple. It's been two years. So we've, we've gone through quite a, quite a bit of the scripture and, the, and different themes within mm -hmm. the scripture. So Good. you're welcome to go and listen to those podcasts. And we've also gone through some of the documents of the church, particularly the document, yeah. Dei Verbum, the Word of God, yeah. from the Second Vatican Council yeah. to help people better understand what does the church That's teach. Right. Important. Yeah. Well, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about Lent. I don't know why. I mean, I did, just this word came out of nowhere, you know, and I just thought Lent. Well, let's let's look at this and let's just uh, see what it's all about. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're a funny girl. And and but we do want to look at today's reading from the gospel, and it, it's interesting because, you know, the church has a cycle of readings, and for Lent there are specific readings for each day of Lent, mm -hmm. and today is the Friday after Ash Wednesday. It is Friday, February 19th, and we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, this is an extremely short gospel. <laughs> it's Matthew 9, 14, and 15, two verses. And what does it say? It says, The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Mm. Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn? as long as the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this gospel. John's disciples, John was very austere. John lived, by the way, he, he ate locust and wild honey. He lived in the desert and he wore camel skin. Um, very austere life. So the question of fasting and, and why do we fast? Well, Jesus says, because the bridegroom is with them. His disciples don't fast because the bridegroom, the bridegroom, what are you talking about? This isn't a wedding. I mean, you're, you're walking around. Well, it, no, it, it, it's a depiction of Jesus found elsewhere in Matthew. And not only in Matthew, in the beginning of John's gospel, um, 
John, when he's asked by the Pharisees, John mm-hmm. the Baptist, when he's asked by the Pharisees, you know, uh, why are you baptizing? You know, and, and uh, no, his, his, no, excuse me. When John's disciples notice that more people are leaving, they're leaving John to go to Jesus and his disciples are really upset. They're saying, master, that man that you pointed out as the lamb of God. Now the people are leaving you and they're going to him. And he said, the best man rejoices to hear the bridegroom's voice. He's there to guard the bride for the be- for the bridegroom. The, it's the groom who has the bride, not the best man. I'm just the best man. I'm guarding the bride. And then I am rejoice when I hear the bridegroom's voice and the bride belongs to him. So John witnesses to this idea that Jesus is the bridegroom yeah. and now he's come. And it's, it's um, it also in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and then Mark 2, 19. And there's Old Testament imagery that depicts our Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, as a bridegroom to Israel, right? We have the book of Hosea. The whole book of Hosea is about that. that the, the idea was God told the prophet Hosea to take this prostitute as his, as his wife to teach Israel. And, and the prostitute, you know, she, sure, she marries Hosea, but she's not faithful to him. And, and the idea is that God is teaching Israel, I am your bridegroom, and by your sin, you have been unfaithful to me. And not just, not just the sin of adultery, not just the sin of fornication, or not just the sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. Any sin makes us unfaithful to God. And so Jesus is the bridegroom. And so the wedding guests aren't going to fast as long as he's with them. Believe me, they'll fast. Not only will they fast, but they'll be martyred. They'll be martyred and give their, they'll shed their blood as a witness to Christ. So we have Christ as the bridegroom. You know, you have in Isaiah, in Jeremiah and Hosea, Isaiah 40, 54, 54, Jeremiah 3, 20, Hosea 2, 14 through 20. And then Jesus takes this role up upon himself and is now the divine spouse of the new covenant church. John 3:29, Ephesians 5:25, Revelations 19:7 through 9, and then you have the explanation in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 796. And it's interesting, I, again, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The scripture is difficult to understand. Without the church, we yeah. don't have the scripture and we don't have the understanding. And, and we, we give the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. I was just going to say the eunuch. Yeah, that, the eunuch and the Acts the of the Apostles. And he's riding along in his chariot. He's been to Jerusalem. He believes in the one, the one Lord of uh, the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And it's about the suffering of, you know, the Messiah. Right. And, and Philip, the, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to catch up with the, car- the, the chariot. And he does. And, and he asks him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I, if I have no one to explain it to me? So Philip gets in the chariot with the eunuch and he explains the passage, mm-hmm. the suffering servant. And from that passage, then he explains God's whole plan and that Jesus was the Messiah and he came right. and that you're supposed to be baptized because Jesus sent us out to baptize. And so they're going by water and the eunuch says, look, there's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? So Philip baptizes him. But the point was the eunuch understood. How can I understand if I don't have someone to explain it to me? Right. And Jesus founded his church. And he gave his authority. He invested the church with his authority. And we didn't have the scripture. The Jews didn't have a canon. They didn't have a canon at the time of our Lord. Uh, there, were, there were three different schools of thought on what was the Old Testament. 
The Sadducees only accepted the first five books of the Bible. The Pharisees accepted a little more than that. And then there was, there was another school of thought. And there wasn't a unified. And then Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. So the Protestants often say, well, you know, the Catholic Church, um, the, 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 the Jews had a canon, and it comes from the Council of Jamnia, but the Council of Jamnia didn't occur until 100 AD. The, the temple had been destroyed. There was no more authority among the Jews. The authority had been transferred to the apostles yeah. and to Christ's church that he had founded. And so it was actually, it wasn't the Council of Trent no. that gave us the scriptures as we have them. It was the, the bishops of the Catholic Church at Hippo in Carthage in 395 and... 393 and 397. 393 and 397. That. Yeah. AD, and they gave us the canon. That canon never changed. Yep. The only reason it came up at Trent is because the Protestant theologians yep. were rejecting part of the scriptures. And so the church had to say, no, this is the absolute canon. This has been the canon that was believed in by the early church, the fathers of the church. This is the canon that always was. And Mary, what's happened with private apparition, private, private interpretation, I've seen now... Uh, where you have 40,000 denominations. That's the fruit, bad fruit, but it's fruit. Right. When you say, well, I interpret the Bible this way. Well, I interpret it that way. Right. We get all these denominations. It's not a, it's not a matter of personal interpretation. Nope. It's a matter of what did God intend, and how do we know that? We know that through the authority of the church, and we know that Jesus Christ founded his church. And so, and that's a whole other discussion, And but today we're going to talk about Lent. But it, here we want to understand that Jesus is the bridegroom. He has come to claim his bride, the church, and he has come to save his bride, the church. You know? um, and how, what does he have to save her from? And that, that will lead us into our discussion on Lent and to understand more fully, what is Lent? Is Lent just some kind of a celebration of spring coming? Are we just, you know, um, is this just the... the, 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 the baptism of some pagan feast or whatever. Well, how does the church see Lent? And again, who is our authority? Our authority is the church that Jesus Christ himself established. And what I want to do to lead into this discussion on Lent is actually look at the first reading for today's Mass, which comes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. And what does the Lord say to the prophet? Thus says the Lord God, cry out, full-throated and unsparingly. Lift up your voice like a trumpet blast. Tell my people their wickedness and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and desire to know my ways like a nation that has done what is just and not abandoned the law of their God. They ask me to declare what is due to them. Please to gain access to God. Why do we fast and you do not see, afflict ourselves and you take no note of it? Lo, on your fast days, you carry out your own pursuits and drive all your laborers. Yes, you fa your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. And there's that music. Oh my, we're going to have to take a break. So we'll finish this reading after the break and I'll, uh, we'll start this as our discussion on Lent. What is the true meaning of Lent? What are we doing during Lent? What is our purpose? And what does the church teach us? And again, just like Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, 
So the teachings of the church don't change because they're his teachings. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We'll be right back with more. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. Occasionally, Terry has to step out of the studio during our show to do a few things that have to be taken care of at the office, so he's out for the moment. We're reading Isaiah 58, 1 through 9. It's the first reading for the for Friday uh, after Ash Wednesday in the liturgy, in the Holy Mass of the church. And um, so we, we had to stop because of the music. So, so the Lord is upbraiding his people. He sends the, a prophet to point out their sins to them. <laughs> so what does the true prophet do? The true prophet points out to us where we've been unfaithful to God and for what purpose. So Jesus says, Yes, your fast ends in, I mean, Jesus, the Lord says to his people, yes, your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. In this, is this the manner of fasting that I wish of keeping a day of penance? Okay, he's asking a question now. Is this the manner of fasting I desire? That a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This rather is the fasting that I wish, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them and not turning your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Lord is telling us, yeah, it's okay to fast. You know, you can give up food, and, and that's important too because we need to fast. We need to gain dominion over our bodies. Our bodies are, you know, we have this problem. It's called concupiscence. Adam and Eve sinned. God, God had given these great gifts where their, their whole physical being, their whole body, everything about their body was perfectly subject to their intellect and will. Their intellect clearly saw that God was the good they were made to choose. And because of that, the will freely and easily chose God without a fight, without struggle. And then Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. Now that that gift of integrity, which made it so easy for them before the original sin, was a gift. It wasn't part of it wasn't theirs by nature. And so they lost that gift. And this is something to remember. The gifts that God gives are gifts and we can lose them. Faith, hope, and charity, those are gifts. We can lose them. If you think you've lost your faith or you you say, I don't have faith, then ask God for faith. Okay? If you really want faith, if you really want to believe, then ask God for the gift of faith. It is a gift. So 
we have concupiscence as a result of original sin. So even when we're baptized, although original sin itself is removed from our souls, we're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer in sin. God's grace is infused into our souls. The theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, the four, temp- the four cardinal virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude are infused into our souls, but we still have concupiscence. So we find it very easy to do evil. We, as a matter of fact, we don't need the devil's help. We don't need any help at all because we're inclined to evil. We need God's help to do any good. So we have to ask him for that help. So the prophet is telling the people, it's not just crying out to the Lord and saying, we're fasting, we're doing this, we're doing that. You have to give us this. No. What does he want? He wants you to act with justice. Give your neighbor his due. And what is your neighbor's due? Well, All of us are children of God. We were all made in God's image as persons to be loved. And if God has given me more than I need of this world's goods, he did it so that I could serve the poor. The book of Tobit, Tobit tells his son Tobiah, give give some of your food to the hungry, give something to drink to the thirsty, shelter the homeless. He tells it, and, and, and it's like, oh, well, you know, and Jesus says that too at the last, judgment, right? When he gives, excuse me, when Jesus gives you the account of the last judgment, what does he say? I will say to those who are, who are on my left, out of my sight, you condemned because you would not give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and visit the imprisoned and the sick and shelter the homeless. When Lord, whenever you saw someone in need and you refused, then you refused to do it for me. And to those on his right, he'll say, you did give me food and you gave me drink and you visited me when I was sick or in prison and you sheltered me when I was homeless and you gave me clothing. When, Lord, when, whenever you did it for one of my brothers, you did it for me. So you see, we're all brothers in Christ. And to give the, our, the due, what's due to our neighbor is our neighbor is due the dignity of a child of God. So we pray for one another and also we help one another with the material needs insofar as we're capable and insofar as it's according to the duties of our state in life. So Jesus, the Lord, the Lord in the Old Testament, that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking to, to the, the people Israel. He says, no, I want you to set free those who are oppressed. I want you to break the yoke. I want you to share your bread with the hungry, shelter the oppressed and the homeless, clothe the naked when you see them, and don't turn your back on your own. You know, oftentimes the greatest division comes within families, our own family, and we turn our backs on our own family. It's like, no, I'm done with you. I'm not going to forgive you again. I'm, I've had it with you. I'm finished. Well, God isn't finished with us. How many times have we sinned and he's forgiven us and then we've gone back to the same sins or worse sins or whatever and he's still willing to forgive us if we say I'm sorry. Don't cut people out of your life. That doesn't mean you have to allow people to abuse you, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But pray for the family members. Pray for their conversion. Pray that all of us will learn to be generous and forgiving, willing to forgive even as God has forgiven us. This is essential to Lent. And why do I say that? What is it about Lent? What is Lent? Well, it's interesting because in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the, the, the Church gives us a nice little definition of Lent. And she says, Lent reflects the 40 days of Jesus spent in the desert in fasting and prayer. 
So Lent is a, a season where we remember Jesus, and this is at the beginning of his public life, in all three, uh, in, in excuse me, I shouldn't say three Gospels. I want to remember, I, I, I just, something came up this week that reminded me, the, the early church never spoke of four Gospels. There's only one Gospel. The Gospel is fourfold. The Gospel is fourfold. One Fold is Matthew, one fold is Mark, one fold is Luke, one fold is John. They all go together and they don't contradict one another. So if one of them sees to say something that contradicts something else in another one, then you have to figure out how does this fit together? Because this is not four gospels. It's one gospel that fits together as a whole. So when they tell the same event or what seems to be the same event in a different way, it's not a contradiction. We need to see how it fits together. Okay. So we have Jesus and, and he's going to go out into the wilderness. He was baptized by John and then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days. And there's a great significance to that. And hopefully we'll get to that. <laughs> so, but what is it? In paragraph 540 of the catechism, it says, Jesus's temptation reveals the way in which the son of God is Messiah. Contrary to the way Satan proposes to him and the way men wish to attribute to him. So how does Satan propose it? Well, if you're the son of God, be a bread king. Feed everybody. Turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, wow everybody with all the great things you can do. Throw yourself off the temple and the angels will catch you and you won't hurt yourself. And then the last time, well, you know, in the two, two gospels, they're not in the same order, but they're all three there. In Mar Matthew and Mark give us the, no, Matthew and Luke, excuse me, Matthew and Luke give us the details of the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. So after 40 days of fasting, and he's hungry, this is Satan's way. He, he's going to tempt. And then he says, okay, fine. Here are all the kingdoms of the world. They all belong to me, Satan. And if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. And of course, with each temptation, Jesus responds. Satan quotes scripture and Jesus quotes scripture, but there's a difference. And Jesus quotes scripture with authority and with reverence. Satan is manipulating scripture to try and draw out from Jesus Christ who he is. Satan's not sure that this is the promised Messiah, the God man that God showed him in the beginning in the tempting of the angels, in the testing of, excuse me, not testing, tempting, testing. The angels were tested. Will you serve? And Satan said, no, I will not serve. So Satan is trying to draw it out. So it's like, okay. And each time Jesus responds, you know, and he's, okay, make the stones into bread. And, and Jesus says, not on bread alone do you live. And, and he says, cast yourself off the temple. And Jesus says, you don't tempt the Lord your God. You don't throw yourself down at the temple and say, okay, send your angels to catch me. No, don't tempt the Lord your God. And then when Satan says, fall down and worship me, what does Jesus say? No, the Lord God is Lord alone. Only him shall you worship. Now get out of here, Satan. So Satan leaves. Okay. And how, does, how do men say it? Well, in, in, in the gospel, when Jesus tells his apostles about his suffering, Peter says, Lord, no, this, this can't happen to you. And again, so men, Satan, be a bread king. Wow, everybody. Or just be an earthly person who, who is interested in the things of this earth and be the servant of the enemy of God. And, and for men, it's like, no, Lord, you don't have to suffer. You're going to take away all suffering. So you shouldn't have to suffer. 
because you're the son of God, so you shouldn't have to suffer. And, and we don't get it. We don't understand the meaning of suffering in Jesus Christ. What happens? Suffering came as an intrusion. God did not make suffering and death. He didn't make sin. Absolutely not. They came as intrusions, but they become a source of redemption if we'll turn them to the Lord. If we accept suffering and death as, as the punishment for sin, and, and in addition to that, Jesus went beyond that because he's not a sinner. He took the punishment for sin upon himself because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And he paid a debt he didn't know because we couldn't pay the debt. God was offended, and no man could, who was merely man, could ever have made up for the sin that was committed against God when Adam and Eve sinned. So Jesus takes on the punishment for sin in order to redeem the meaning of suffering and death. And so the suffering and death, although they came as intrusions, they become a means now to grow in holiness and in likeness to Christ. And sin, if we repent of our sins, it helps us to be humble. It actually opens us up more. Was it somebody, someone said recently, Tres of Lezu, when she was on her deathbed, she was, you know, she was suffering very much from tuberculosis and she, she was impatient with one of her sisters. And the nuns pointed it out to her and she said, Jesus, thank you for pointing out to me my fault because now I have something else to immerse in your precious blood. So we'll be right back with more on the true meaning of Lent on Bible with the Barbers right after this break. Thank you for joining us and welcome to all of our new listeners on Jesus of the Cross. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, thank you for joining on this on this Friday, February 19th on Bible with the Barbers. Welcome to all of our new listeners from Stations of the Cross Radio. Thank you, Stations of the Cross Radio, for picking up our show. And um, we thank you also for your support. For those of you who support Virgin Most Powerful Radio, if there's anyone out there who can support us, 877-526-2151 would be the number to donate. Or you can look at our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And also remember to support Stations of the Cross and especially support us with your prayers and your sacrifices, please. You know, people often ask Terry how he did all this work in the apostolate and whatever. And began this began this began this this began this apostolate was born out of the suffering of his parents, which is a whole story. You can read his his books, um, um, how to share your faith with anyone. I think he talks about that in there. And then it was watered by suffering, where other people who knew of the apostolate that Terry was doing offered their sufferings voluntarily. A priest we knew who was dying of leukemia. He offered the last three months of his life for the apostolates that Terry was carrying on. So, and there have been many other people throughout the years, numerous people who have just said, you know what, I'm suffering. I have cancer. I have this, I have that. I'm going to offer this suffering for your apostolate. So God is good. And this is, you know, part of Lent, just as our Lord offered his sufferings for us, we too offer our sufferings in union with Jesus Christ. And as, as Paul says in his letter, I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. So we, we offer our sufferings. So we're looking at this paragraph 540 in the Catechism about what Lent is. So this is why Christ vanquished the tempter for us, 
For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sinning. By the solemn 40 days of Lent, the church unites herself each year to the mystery of Jesus in the desert. So we're uniting ourselves to this mystery of Jesus in the desert. Before his public life, he went out into the desert to fast for 40 days and to pray and to wrestle with temptation because all of us are tempted. And he is the high priest who's going to deliver us from sin. And this is the primary purpose why Jesus came. He came to deliver us from sin. By the way, he didn't come to deliver us from suffering and poverty. He, he came to redeem the meanings of suffering and poverty and death. But he, they're still there. They're going to happen. But now they have a new meaning in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We don't have to be afraid of death because Christ is the victor. He's vanquished death. So what is it about this temptation of Jesus in the desert? What do we see? Well, we have the account in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, and in Luke 4, verses 1 through um, 13. In Mark, you just have a real brief, you know, after Jesus was baptized, he was driven out into the wilderness by the, the Spirit to be tempted let me just, it's real, it's funny because Mark's is just so succinct and this very much like Mark, right? The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and he was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. So Mark doesn't give us any of the details. But again, remember, this is not four gospels. This is one gospel, one gospel that is fourfold. So we have to take them all together and see what's there. So in this temptation, Jesus is led out into the desert by the Spirit. And he goes, what is this all about, being led out into the desert? Well, Jesus is spiritual. This is his spiritual preparation for his ministry. And it, it contrasts the disobedience of Israel, <laughs> ancient Israel, to the obedience of Jesus. Jesus is the representative of the new Israel. He's the Redeemer. He's the one who's going to do what Adam didn't do, lay down his life for his bride and, and be obedient, fully obedient and cast aside fear and distrust. Remember, Adam and Eve sinned because they let their trust in God die in their heart. God really can't take care of you. God really doesn't care about you. God's keeping things from you. Well, honey, God is God. And he can't fully reveal everything to us because we're not God. We can never be God. But we can share in his life, and that's what he desires. So Jesus goes out into the desert, okay? Israel was called the son of God. Jesus is the the only begotten son of God made man, okay? The temptation of both Israel and Jesus are preceded by a baptism. Israel passed through the Red Sea. the, The fathers of the church saw that as a form of baptism, And Jesus was baptized by John. Okay. Israel was tested for 40 years. Jesus is tempted for 40 days. Now remember, um, Israel had failed in the wilderness testing while Jesus triumphs over Satan. Israel failed. Jesus triumphs. Okay. And how does Jesus triumph? He triumphs through obedience and self-abasement. 
Israel was disobedient and prideful. And that's, that's a good examination of conscience for all of us. I was reading an article that Terry suggested today on um, the Purgatorio of Dante. To read, he, this article suggested that you read the Purgatorio of Dante, you know, the Divine Comedy, Dante's Purgatorio, for Lent, and use it as a Lenten um, guide, as it were. And it's interesting because he mentions in there, a priest once said to him, you know, a lot of women come to confession and confess that they're prideful. Men don't, for some reason. Now, men, men always have another sin that they confess first. Women, it's often pride, which shows their, the w- spiritual superiority. And it's not, oh, good, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I have pride so I can be spiritually superior. No, it's when I acknowledge, when I realize that I am being proud, prideful, I'm beginning to have some humility. It's when I say, oh, no, I'm humble. I'm so humble, you know. You know, oh, Lord, it's so hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Um, you know, that, no, we, we ask for the grace of humility every day because we do have pride. And that's, that was Israel's downfall as, as pride is, you know, it, it, it can lead us to a lot of sinfulness. We know it better than God. We know it better than others. We put others down. We put ourselves above others. And then we try and tell God how to do things. I, you know, all of that is sinful, by the way. Putting others down, saying we're better than others, you know, um, in a derogatory way. That's sinful. It's not, it's not humble. So Jesus is humble and he's obedient, okay? And um, then what do we have? We have Jesus redeeming the sin of man through his obedience. Redeeming the disobedience of Adam and Eve through obedience. Now, St. John Chrysostom in his homily on this passage of scripture says that morally speaking, this is what this passage means. Jesus' victory sets an example for Christian obedience. Earthly life is a wilderness trial for God's people en route to the land of heaven. This isn't our homeland. We're looking for heaven as our homeland. Through this probationary period, God wills the faithful to overcome temptations from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Triumph is possible through penance and obedience to God's word. Rather than earthly bread and power, the faithful must desire the food of God's will and the humility of Christ. The battle successfully won merits heaven's comfort in the company of the angels. And the church annual reminds us of this lifelong vocation during the 40 days of Lent. And again, paragraph 540 of the catechism and then 2849. So every year during Lent, we're reminded we're on a pilgrimage. We have here no lasting city. We give up the things of this earth, not because they're evil in and of themselves. Sin is evil, okay? God didn't make sin. But everything that God made is good. Food is good. Okay. Family is good. Relationships are good in and of themselves. Human sexuality is good and holy in and of itself. (laughs) Used improperly or just to serve my own pleasure, then it's sinful. Then I have distorted its meaning. Okay. If I'm just eating food for the pleasure of my taste buds, you know, okay, junk food, right? Ice cream, potato chips. What am I doing to my health and my body? I'm destroying them. I'm pleasing my taste buds. Sure, pleasure. But but it's not, the rest of the body isn't getting any pleasure. The rest of the body is getting sick and, and it's full of pain. So we, we 
exercise moderation, temperance, right? The four cardinal virtues, temperance, prudence, justice, and fortitude. <laughs> so we want to work at that. We have to discipline our bodies to bring them into subjection to the will of God and bring them into the subjection to the very fact that I want God. Bring them into subjection to ourselves. If I choose God with my intellect, you know, my will, and, and my intellect says God is the true good and I choose him, and then I have this, St. Paul said, I have this war within my members. I want to do good and my body leads me to do evil, and, and, I, and I, I want to choose God and, and I choose sin. But Christ saves us from this. And of course, it's not just obedience and fasting, it's prayer also. If you want the gift of faith, if you want to be faithful, if you want final perseverance, ask for it every day. Lord, I believe, increase my faith. I hope in you, increase my hope. I trust you, strengthen my trust. I love you, let me love you more and more. Lord, I want to be obedient. Give me the grace to be obedient. Lord, grant me the grace of final perseverance. And remember, you can be left with the struggle, the war within your flesh. Sin is not in the flesh, it's in the will. When we choose the disordered behavior of our flesh, okay, when I choose to deliberately say, you know what, I know that eating this second ice cream sundae is not good for me, I'm going to eat it anyway, well then I'm, that's gluttony. I'm only eating it for the taste, it's not nourishing my body, it's, it's a form of gluttony. may not be a mortal sin, but it's still a sin, and, and even though no number of venial sins can ever equal a mortal sin or totally separate us from God, venial sin still darkens the intellect and weakens the will and makes it easier for us. It sets us up to commit mortal sin. Because when a big temptation comes, if we, if we haven't fought valiantly against the venial sins, we're going to fall. That's why we pray every day. Mother Teresa once said, somebody said, what's your secret? And she said, my secret is simple. I pray. So Lent, we pray, we fast with the Lord, yes, but, but not for the sake of fasting. For the sake of freeing ourselves from the things of this world, because we have a better home now, because we're looking forward to heaven. We'll be right back with more from Bible with the Barbers. Welcome to our new listeners from Stations of the Cross Radio. Thank you for joining us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, Call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, February the 19th. Um, this is the first Friday in Lent. Lent has begun this annual season where we keep company with Jesus as he goes into the wilderness to fast, to um, wrestle with temptation and sin, and to... Um, and not wrestle as we do. He was tempted from the outside, not from within, because he does not have concupiscence. And, and, and to redeem us from th this slavery to sin and the meaning of it and where in scriptures and you know what, what do we want to be doing during Lent? And we were talking about the fasting. We talked about the temptation account of Jesus' temptation of the devil in, in the, um, from the aspect of Matthew's Matthew's account. And remember, this is not a, it's not four gospels. The fathers of the church saw the gospel as one gospel with four aspects, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you have fourfold gospel, they called it, the fourfold gospel. Um, four different 
ways of looking at it. It's like a diamond, you know? How many facets are there in a diamond? If you only looked, if you could isolate one facet of a diamond and just looked at it from that one facet, how much beauty would you miss? You want to look at the whole thing. And this is the gospel. There's one gospel of Jesus Christ. It has four aspects. One by Matthew, one by Mark, one by Luke, and one by John. So they're not contradictory. They work together to give us a fuller picture of what Jesus was about and what he was doing. And so Lent is this time that we commemorate his going into the desert at the beginning of his public life to to wrestle with the devil and temptation, to experience deprivation of the body. And I, before I was saying, you know, we don't, we don't give up food because it's bad. We don't give up things during Lent because, although sin, yes, we give up sin because it's bad. But the things that God made are good. And so we don't fast from food because it's evil. We fast because there's something better waiting for us up ahead. Heaven. We're waiting for heaven. We're preparing for heaven. We're not just waiting for it. We're preparing. We're building the kingdom of God here on earth in terms of, letting people know that God has established a kingdom. And in that kingdom, God is king. He is the one. And we are all answerable to God. And we all want to live according to God's law and, and to be faithful to the Lord. So that if we're faithful to the Lord until the end, if we persevere, then we'll get to heaven. And in heaven, our bodies will no longer have the same needs that they have here on earth. We will have a body. It will be a glorified body. No longer subject to sin, no longer subject to death, no longer subject to suffering, no longer subject to the limitations of time and space. But the most important thing will be that we'll be united to God. St. Augustine once said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless, once wrote. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. It is only in God that we will find our peace and our rest. Only God can fill us. He made us for himself. The things of this world can't fill us. So, you know, all the hot fudge Sundays in the world, they're never going to fill us. We'll always be empty. You know, somebody's, I remember as a, experiencing this too as a young person. I'd, I'd go into the kitchen and I'd be like, I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry. My stomach's not hungry, but I'm hungry. And I'm looking in the kitchen for food and I didn't get it. And a young person said to me the other day, they're looking, for, they're looking through the cupboards in the refrigerator and they said, no, I'm not really hungry. I said, well, maybe pray. Pray a decade of the rosary. What's missing? What's missing? What, is, what am I hungering for inside? Because I have hungers other than the need of food for my body. And sometimes it's thirst. I mean, if you're, if you're dehydrated, you're not going to feel well. You need to make sure you're drinking enough water. But so Jesus goes out into the, the desert and he deprives himself of food for 40 days. Now, I don't suggest you do that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, no one should do that. Um, you do what's healthy for your body and you ask a spiritual director, ask a priest to guide you in that. But um, we can give up things for Lent, food and and. We can give up foods that are absolutely necessary too, not just the extras. We can give up the desserts and all of that. We can give up necessary things too, like eating meat. We don't have to eat meat. Some people give up meat for the entire time of Lent. You know, we don't have to have meat every day, and we do have to give up meat on Fridays. The absolute uh, Ash Wednesday and all the Fridays of Lent are days of, of abstinence from meat, and that's for everyone. And Lent is a time of fasting. Okay, it's a time of fasting. And that means that we try and eat less than we're used to eating. 
And, and there are other kinds of fasting, you know, fasting from gossiping, fasting from watching TV, fasting from spending too much time on the internet, fasting from spending too much time on social media, fasting from, you know, just wanting to have people around and noise around me all the time. Shut off the noise. God comes to us in the silence. So in Luke's account of, and this is, remember, one gospel, four aspects. In Luke's aspect of the temptation, um, it, Luke is pointing out a different emphasis than, than Matthew. And Luke's emphasis is, um, it, it's showing you the course of Jesus's ministry, okay? And the nature of his mission. What does it mean to be a, 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 a Messiah? Satan attempts to detour Jesus from the path of suffering to one of earthly power and sensationalism. Okay. <clears throat> His final effort to tempt Jesus brings them to Jerusalem where he tells him, you know, throw your, in Luke's account, throw yourself off the temple. And, and Jesus tells him, don't tempt the Lord your God. That's called presumption, by the way. Don't tempt the Lord your God to presume that, well, I will do this and God will protect me or I'll commit this sin today and I can go to confession tomorrow. I know this is a mortal sin and I'm going to do it anyway, but I'll go to confession tomorrow. You know what? You might die. Don't presume on the mercy of God. That's a, that is a grave, that's a grave offense against God to presume. And then we have the um, allegorically, St. Ambrose says, what this passage in Luke means, Christ goes into the wilderness to rescue man from his exile in sin. We are exiled in sin. We were made, Adam and Eve were made in perfect union with God. And they let their trust in God die in their heart. And they estranged themselves from God. So now we are exiles. Since Adam's expulsion from Eden, man has languished in the desert of spiritual death. Cut off from paradise. Christ pursues man in the desert. He goes out into the desert, symbolically allegory, to pursue us, to wrest him from the grip of evil. Christ will wrestle with evil and defeat evil to rescue us from the grip of evil. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. That doesn't mean he ever was contaminated by sin. Christ never sinned. Christ never sinned. He wasn't tempted like we are from within. You know, when we experience a temptation, it's because of concupiscence, we're drawn toward evil. No. The human nature of Jesus Christ was never, you know, there was no concupiscence in it. His human nature was united to the Godhead. He is the God-man. He is God and man, truly man. Yes, he really knew temptation. He, he really experienced hunger and thirst and he experienced the cold and the heat and he experienced suffering, real suffering. He wasn't play acting. It was real suffering. And he experienced it when, when his people rejected him, when the scribes and the Pharisees refused to accept him as the Messiah. He experienced that pain in his human nature, but he has a human nature. He's a divine person. He also has a divine nature. And so Christ never sinned, never sinned. And there was no struggle in his, in between his human nature and his divine nature in regards to temptation or God's will. His human nature was perfectly subject. His per human nature 
clearly saw God as the good, clearly chose the path that God had laid out for him and never, never rebelled in any manner, shape or form. Jesus was never disobedient to his parents. He didn't disobey his mother in any manner, shape or form. No, or, or St. Joseph for that matter. He never sinned, never sinned. And so Christ wants us to follow him into the desert. We're supposed to follow him into the desert during this Lent, okay? Don't take on penances that are too much for you to bear. Add some prayer to your daily routine, a little extra prayer. Give up something that you can manage, all right? I, I, you know, don't be, be very careful not to take on a penance that's, that's what do you call it? Unsustainable. You know, it's, it's like the, it's like, what do you call that? The, um, the crash diet. I'm not going to eat for three days and I'm going to drop 10 pounds. And then after the third day is over, I drop 10 pounds and then I go out and I binge and I gain 10. No, we want to take on a manageable penance. And we also want to take on a, a penance that's spiritually meaningful to us. So we should do a thorough examination of conscience at the beginning of Lent. What is my major fault? What is the sin I need to give up? Do I like to gossip? Do I like to um, feel like I'm better than everyone else in the world? Do I, um, am I, am, do I tend toward gluttony, especially in the eating of desserts or a particular type of food? So temper in those areas. Figure out what is my major sin and then ask the Lord for the strength to work on that during Lent. So that we grow spiritually, but most especially Lent. Christ goes into the desert to prepare for his mission. And what is his mission? To suffer and die. So we have to prepare ourselves with discipline to be able to sustain suffering and death with the help of God's grace. So we want to be able to walk with Christ through the desert to the path that goes all the way to Calvary. We don't want to walk away from suffering. When the suffering comes, let's embrace the suffering as a gift from God. Ask the Lord for the grace to do this. And maybe there's a temptation you're struggling with that you're not able to overcome. Humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I offer this to you and immerse it in your precious blood, knowing that you came to have mercy on sinners. You came to save sinners. Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. You know, there are saints who didn't overcome addiction in their life. There's a particular one I'm thinking of, St. Mark G. Tian Chen, that's spelled T-I-A-N-X-I-A-N. He was a Chinese martyr in the Boxer Revolution. He died an opium addict and a saint. He died for Christ. He was given the opportunity to renounce his faith and continue living. And he said, no, I will not give up Jesus Christ. So he died as a martyr, as a witness to Christ. So pray, pray, pray. As Mother Teresa said, my secret is simple, I pray. And also do give up things of this earth. And as you give up the things of this earth, replace them with time spent with God. And you can spend time with God, by the way, serving your family. Be more attentive to the members of your family and their needs. Look to their needs, see what it is they need, and help them. Let's help each other to grow in love of God this Lent. And love one another and serve the poor. God bless you.